And welcome back to another edition of 30 Rack of Sports, Ohio's Sports and Beer Podcast. After a couple weeks taking off from football, talking some MLS, talking some MLB, talking some basketball, talking some puck, fellas, we're back to talking football. Uh, some pivotal matchups coming up in both college football and the NFL, especially uh, as far as Ohio goes in the NFL. So we're going to cover all of it from the Mac to the Cats to the Buckeyes to a certain Battle of Ohio on Halloween night. I the, like I like all the orange. The Mac? The Mac. The Mac. The Mac. The return of the Mac? The return of the Mac. That voice you hear on the ones and twos. Possibly the Mac's biggest fan. Josh. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I'm not that. Uh, you're you're always trying to get us to talk Mac football. You're, I, I'm you're, not you're that. I'm guy. not that scholarly though. I, I don't I don't truly belong. However, I I think I am going to go up to the land of uh as they call themselves scholars uh in uh one of the first I believe it is the first week of midweek action. We got the Battle of the Bricks in Oxford Ooh. coming up. Uh, but yeah, excited to talk Mac football finally. Yeah, just two games this weekend as uh. The MAC teams kind of reset their schedules to start playing on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So uh, two games, just two games this weekend. But then next weekend, you get or uh, next Tuesday, you get a big MAC East showdown: Buffalo, Ohio, Peden Stadium. As someone whose parents, I believe, at one time were Ohio season ticket holders. Yeah. On the opinion, Zach. Zach, how excited are you for I midweek mean, action? Anytime you talk about Buffalo football, OU football. I can't even name since uh, Solich. I, I don't even know who the head coach is now. But, you know, go Bobcats, right? <laughs> one of those fans. I don't know. Robert, I mean, look, 5-3, and 3-1 three, three and one in the Mid-American Conference. Have young, a chance to. Young Rourke. Little Rourke. Rourke 2. Oh, yeah. That's right. Point yeah. oh. So, guys, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, some big matchups. Uh, one in the AAC. Uh, thankfully, the last year the Bearcats are in there, but a uh, probably well right now a battle between two of the top three teams in the American. Although both had some uh, dull results over the weekend, UC just hanging on against SMU, UCF getting their doors blown off by the Pirates of East Carolina. So, thankfully, you're it, always thankful for UCF. Yep, yep. Thankfully, they so, were able to play that game. Gosh, thank thank goodness for them because really. UC would be not even in probably uh, FBS football without UCF. So thank you to them. Um, I mean, turn around. Every now and then, I mean, I, I get a little bit lonely, but I, it ain't lonely at the top up here. I'm, I've been looking forward to this UCF game for a while. Big game. And then also uh, a team that I would not say is really ever lonely at the top, uh, right where they normally are. It's right now tied at the top of the Big Ten East. But uh, a big game. Unfortunately, as we mentioned last week, not the whiteout game, but a big noon kickoff game. Yeah. Uh, have you the, calmed down at all? Have you uh, have you calmed down? Have you gotten over it? Are you still bitter about the fact that the Buckeyes are not the whiteout game? Penn oh, State hasn't given you that's like the biggest their full attention. It's the biggest disrespect, most disrespectful thing they could have done. Like that's that's bulletin board material. Right now. They didn't think you were good enough board material. to play a night game. Why they think you're not? They think you're Bowling Green. Fellas, that's that's all you got to say. They don't think you're Minnesota. Yeah, exactly. You're, yeah, yeah, you're not good. You're enough. not PJ Fleck, bud. 
Uh, Greg, how are you doing? Uh, you just I know you just took a little uh, business trip this weekend and uh, went to one of your favorite places in the world. Yeah, I was in Chicago for a couple of days. Uh, thank goodness uh, I was traveling during the second half oh, really? of that Browns know, game, I or I would have had an, probably an actual aneurysm, and I would you probably listening, not. listening, following along. Uh, I was so I was driving, and He's got my coworker, my coworker, not a big football fan, so we were just you know listening your to music. Your car, bro. But uh, your car, your rules. Well, it was it was a rental car, but uh, <laughs> oh hey hey we. Look at yeah, that's respectful. A respectful yeah. Browns fan. I, so I checked my phone. Few and in between nowadays. At just oh, when I had a quick second to, and I saw it was twenty three twenty, but I misread the score and I thought the Browns had been up twenty three twenty. So I didn't hear anything for a while, and I was like, okay, things are going good. Saw so that they ended up losing twenty three to twenty. I was like, wow, that sucks. They didn't get any points in the last nine minutes, and then I saw everything that transpired <laughs> at the end of that game, which we will get to as far as some. Interesting pass interference and an absolutely wild false start call. So, Browns, as usual, finding new and fun ways to lose games. You'll love it. You'll love to hear it. (laughs) Setting up their big matchup in Cleveland as the Cincinnati Bengals, who have kind of righted the ship, coming in at 4-3. and Still no second-half touchdowns given up. So, uh, Lou Onarumo, Amarillo, Anteater. Armadillo, yeah. Lou, Lou Armadillo in that defense, really getting it done. Uh, it's been pretty, uh, pretty astounding to 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 watch. I I, I cannot believe they. Uh, I I don't know if you guys saw the goal line uh, tackle from Chidobe Awuzie, who has become my favorite Bengal in the past year. I think just a beast. If you haven't seen it, watch it because like just being unbiased here is one of the best like defensive tackles at the goal line I've ever seen. And I tend to try to stay record. away from television showing football on Sundays. Oh yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you might even be you might even be feeling worse than I do. I, I was gonna say if I'm numb us, about the whole thing. Yeah. I'm numb about it all to be honest with you. It's just well, it, your quarterback's it, numb, that for sure. Yeah, he stays numb. We know that. It's a frustrating thing. It's not even worth getting worked up about. At least when you I, lose to those teams. You're yeah, like, at least ah. I can hang my hat on, you know. So it's not like they're losing like the Browns or oh, something yeah. in crazy fashion. They're just looking at. They're just getting whooped. Yeah, they're just getting beat up by the yeah. New York teams and then uh, the com- Taylor Heineke and them <sighs> boys. Yeah. So uh, getting some stuff brutal. done. So Packers, what are, are they? Under 500 now? Three and four. Soon to be three and five after that Sunday night matchup in Buffalo. So, so that'll be a... Yeah, so uh, right now, Packers three and four, tied with, tied with the Chicago Bears. Hey. Uh, two games behind uh, Kirk Cousins. Ugh. Right now... Is there anybody just you hate more than Kirk fucking Cousins? Bang- I gotta look at him. Bengals and Browns in second and uh, third place. Uh, Bengals... Uh, losing the tiebreaker to the Ravens based on divisional record. Uh, Browns over the Steelers right now due to head-to-head records. So um, pretty tough times, except for, for Josh right now. His team's starting to get rolling. I should have started Burrow, too. Been making a mistake the last few weeks. My fantasy team Ooh. starting Lamar, just Ooh. atrocious. Oh, I, I, I got, lost again, and Burrow had like 40 points. And I like, got ah. flip-flopped all over this week because I got yeah. I traded for Burrow in fantasy week. And so Sunday afternoon, I'm thinking, oh, we're, we've got this. Everything's looking fine and dandy. Well, I traded to get him. I traded uh, uh, Cortland Sutton and Tony Pollard. And I was like, I can afford to give away a running yeah. back because I have Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, 
in Brees Hall. Oh no. And uh yeah, oh, Brees no. uh later that afternoon, Brees Hall uh left the game and uh is done for the season with a torn ACL. So be careful, folks. Keep your head on a swivel out there in <laughs> fantasy land. Hey, always something going on in fantasy land and always something going on in Ohio when it comes to breweries. Oh, you're the wick. That's awesome. Yeah, how do you do that? That's Jackson, Mississippi. Not quite Jackson, Mississippi. We actually go to Jackson, Ohio, the uh, county seat of Jackson County in Ohio. It is uh, about 27 miles southeast of Chillicothe. So all uh, 6,200 people in the city of Jackson. In Jackson, they have Sixth Sense Brewing Company, where we are drinking their Imperial New England IPA, Mercamus Juicimus. It is a um, imperial or double New England IPA, uh, 8.6 ABV, so another heavy beer, yeah, and uh, 73 IP, IBUs, so not the most bitter because it is that New England IPA, but still got that solid hop taste to it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good mix of both. And this is the uh, double-up version on their, their classic uh, Merck Juice, I believe it's called. Yeah. Their standard IPA. New England IPA, that is. Yeah, so they it's kind of been called the uh, the big brother of Merck Juice. So it's got that... Uh, Merck Juice. Merck. Merck Juice is their, what they call their flagship beer. So Mosaic Eldorado Citra Hops. Uh, this one goes from 6.8 to 8.6%, so definitely a little bit heavier, but uh, it does have that that hazy orange color, mm-hmm. orange-yellow color that you normally see in the New England IPA. Um, as far as some of the Imperials, you don't get that like heavy alcohol taste, which is nice. You can definitely tell it's a little bit of a heavier beer, but it doesn't have that strong alcohol taste, and the hops really aren't overwhelming in this beer. You know, you get a lot of that floral citrusy taste in this beer and it's i mean it's nice it's it doesn't hit as hard as the name might suggest i guess yeah it's Mm -hmm. just barely an imperial and i yeah you hit it perfectly i think the big flavors are the floral notes the tropical notes i really like it what oh yeah you're you're the it's a good breakfast beer a breakfast beer i call it a breakfast beer because it has that orange i like orange juice in the morning so this is one you can crack open it's not overpowering orange juice, but I mean, I, I get that. You get that nice citrus nice flavor. Nice taste. Too. It's an easy finish. Your mouth doesn't taste alcoholy. Gets the day going. Gets the day going right yeah. into work. This definitely Pop seem- a mint in before you walk in. This definitely <laughs> seems like a nice beer. Yeah, you're, you're, you're at like uh, a tailgate. whatever brunch. Maybe something more a tailgate a brunch. Or a brunch. You're, yeah. you're having your Good you brunch know, beer. biscuits and gravy or eggs benedict. I don't know, whatever you got. What's your, what's your go-to brunch food, Josh? Oh, I, I mean... Ever since I became a uh, implant West Side Cincinnati West Sider, the the ghetto over Ugh. here smacks. Ghetto. Um, but mm. any place with a good breakfast bowl, gotta have some gravy in there. Good oh, breakfast yeah. bowl includes some gravy. Yeah, biscuits and gravy. Sorry. Definitely a bowl. I just mix it all in. Uh, definitely something with ghetto in there. Yeah, anything like anything with a multitude of just everything put in. Just put a, whatever you got in the grill. Yeah, I, I would say biscuits and gravy has a yeah. special place in my heart. And then See, I, I also really like, I like the hollandaise sauce, so I do really like eggs ooh, benedict. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of depends on how, I mean, some places have the better kind of ham to it. Mm-hmm. If you get a good biscuit on there, though, that's the one thing. If you get good biscuits, then oh, breakfast. But I mean, check this shelf. out. This is what I'm saying right here. 
Uh, brunch Bowl. You guys can get brunch if you're ever in Jackson, Ohio, or if we have some listeners out there that way. Good brunch at, at the Six, six cents. cents. Oh, yeah. Oh. Check out this bowl. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Fried tots, diced country ham, breakfast sausage, house-made sausage gravy. There it is. Mm. Three cheese blend, tomatoes, scallions, topped with a fried egg in lime, sour, cream. Mm. That's everything you That's want. That's the brunch that, bowl. That sounds delicious. And, uh, I mean, Zach, you're talking about turning up in the morning with some good drinks. Uh, I, you know, they're not open in the morning, but if you want to turn up with some good drinks, they also got cocktails there. And they do kind of have like a Southwest Mexican thing. Food's kind of tacos and burritos. So there you go. definitely a good place to go turn up. They got something for everyone there. So, uh, guys, do you know much about the city of Jackson, Ohio? I know, Zach, you're a, you're a Southeastern Ohio guy. Have you ventured out to Jackson <clears throat> County at all? I've been to Jackson plenty of times, mostly around the uh, athletic facilities of the Ironmen. Uh, played there many times, league rivals back in the uh, now defunct SCOAL. But uh, as far as hanging out, no. Why would I? Um, just just wondering. <laughs> as far as they, they apparently have an Apple Festival. So uh, as far as notable people getting mm-hmm. connecting uh, Jackson to sports, uh, one of the three notable people on the Wikipedia, Homer Marshman, who was the first owner of the Ra- of the Rams, formerly the Cleveland Rams franchise. Yeah. Basically, he is the guy. Who sold the Cleveland team Ooh. to another guy who moved the team out of Cleveland? Yeah. Owned the Rams. Bastard. And then right after the Rams won the 1945 NFL championship, uh, sold, or I'm sorry, he sold the team to a grocery store magnet for $100,000 in the early 40s, right after they won the NFL championship. Reeves moved the team to Los Angeles. Then. Marshman was like, well, I still want to be you know, involved in the NFL. Let me buy some shares in the Cleveland Browns. So from 1954 to 1962, he was a co-owner of the Cleveland Browns until well, he sold his shares to New Yorker Art Modell. Ooh. So both mm. people that he sold his teams to eventually moved the team out of the city. What a deal, though. Purchasing a team for a hundred thousand, hundred thousand dollars in nineteen forties equivalent to two point one million dollars today. Man, so, that is a steal. I don't even know if you can buy like a, a season tickets for a box for two point one million dollars. Well, yeah, so, no, good, good farm economy out there in Jackson, <laughs> not far from uh, ye old Bob Evans uh, out in Rio Grande. But uh, so he he put up fifty five thousand in thirty seven, and then in forty one sold the team for a hundred thousand dollars, and then for That's the Browns, money, bro. That's farm money. He uh, he sold, he bought three hundred thousand dollars for half of basically the stake. That's farm money, bro. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah, I guess. So he and they sold the shares for four point three million, but he only had half of the stake there. So he turned three hundred, he turned fifty five thousand dollars into a hundred thousand, and then three hundred thousand dollars into. Just over $2 million. Boy, guys, you, you could say this guy really had a sixth sense about things. Oh. Ah, boo, all right. <laughs> also, uh, also served as the president of the formerly named Cleveland Indians. So, uh, big name in Cleveland sports, Homer H. Marshman. And uh, that's the big name from Jackson, Ohio. But that's the big... it? I thought you said there were three. Oh, yeah, there's also <laughs> Frank Crummett. Oh. Favorite. Singer, songwriter, and half of the singing sweethearts. 
Huge fan. And then John Wesley Powell, who was a geologist and the explorer of the Grand Canyon and other western lands. Well, that's like old Jackson. That's like wooden house type of shit. Jackson, yep. Mississippi. <laughs> So uh, those are the three big names from Jackson, Ohio. But the big name currently in Jackson, Ohio, is Six Sense Brewing and their Mercamus Juicimus Imperial New England IPA, which we will be enjoying as we talk a little football here on Thirty Rack of Sports. Guys, this Saturday is one of the lean Saturdays of Max football, unfortunately, but it sets us up for one of this podcast's favorite traditions in college football, Tuesday Maction. Only two games on Saturday, Toledo, Eastern Michigan, uh, Toledo looking to set themselves up on top of the Mac West. Uh, Mac East matchup near the bottom, Miami of Ohio and Akron. But then Tuesday, Ball State, Kent State, and then the big one, 730 on ESPN2, Buffalo and Ohio. Josh, Mac football finally here. Two games Tuesday, two games Wednesday. It's back. Maction, man. And it's coming back at such a great time. Uh, our Ohio schools do, doing a Ohio way about things uh, so far. Uh, you got obviously, uh, as you mentioned, Ohio at the top there, uh, sitting at five and three overall, three and one in the conference. Bowling Green has kind of come on here lately. Four and four got themselves back to five hundred. Three and one in the conference, uh, and then Kent State in Miami, who I thought had some some promising starts. Kent State, I mean, you guys remember had had some great games against some good SEC teams. Well, yeah, well, yeah, they in, kept in Big Twelve. Kept Texas A&M close. Uh, I believe they kept Oklahoma close. They kept Washington close, at least for a little bit in mm-hmm. those games. But really hasn't been Maybe able to get it done. speaks to the level of play you're getting out of the MAC right now against those teams above them. I think that's just what it is. Yeah. I think Buffalo could compete at the SEC right now based on if we're going to do that, right? I Comparatively? Mean, I, I think if you're going to compare, <laughs> then I think you could look at you know Buffalo win Toledo. Probably not Akron to kind of round out at least uh, oh, the God, Mac no. East, who's you know uh, so far off. Uh, but then you've got Toledo, the only team in the Mac West, uh, picking up right where they left off. Uh, they're sitting at the top of the West right now. And, uh, and they've played – I mean, they've played – pretty well i mean really they're only i mean their only loss is buffalo who sits on top of the east in a seven point game uh you know having to go all the way out west to san diego state and then they're you know those were both one possession games they're really their only blowout game was against ohio state which you kind of expect that going to ohio state still put up 21 points against ohio state they did I mean, they gave up 77. But, but, ha, they, but some of that was a little bit of uh, But they put up 21 Some of points. that was a little bit of a garbage time. Something, that, something to hang your hat yeah, on. Yeah, well, you know, whatever you got to yeah, do. Buffalo, the only undefeated team in the conference still. But he, as we mentioned, Tuesday, one of the first weeks, uh, one of the first midweek Maction games, they'll face Ohio. And, guys, I think, you know, while we're talking about uh, 
coming off talking about Sixth Sense Brewing in Jackson, Ohio. While we're in Southeast Ohio, give some love to the Bobcats because there were a lot of question marks there after kind of a, one might say, end of an era in Athens. Um, of course, you've got a little bit left over, you could say, uh, with the, the Roark train um, at quarterback. But, I mean, they've, they've I think, exceeded out expectations. They had some rough games early on, but they've got a chance to make some momentum here in the conference, I think, with this game uh, against Buffalo on Tuesday. Yeah, and I think the big thing that's helped them recently is, you know, their last two games, their defense has finally been better because their defense was pretty awful, you know, giving up at least 40 points in their first uh, four games, including 52 points to FCS Fordham. So I know, you know, the Kent State game, you were expecting with Kent State's offense for them to kind of get rolled. Uh, you know, only gave up 24 points in regulation, did lose that game, and then you've seen their defense, you know, especially against Western Michigan and Northern Illinois, give up less than 20 points, which is a huge improvement and, and sets them up to be more successful against the Buffalo team that started off horrendously but has really come into form in the MAC losing to Holy Cross in non-conference, but, uh, you know, uh, 4-0 so far in their max schedule. What are we doing? When are we breaking this down? It's maxion. You throw everything out week to week. You don't know what's, what's going to happen man. this week. Like, well, aliens could land on the field. and I think back to the Kent State-Ohio game, and, you know, coming into that game, the Kent State offense, which is still the number one offense in uh, it, when you look at yards per game in the MAC. But, you know, they were firing and everything, and they had such a fast offense last year. They run a lot of plays yeah. in games. And so you thought with as bad as the Bobcats were playing, especially defensively, and after losing to Fordham, was it? They beat well, Fordham. Well, they, they, they just Fordham. snuck by Fordham. But still, you know, it, they we're having a very shaky start yeah, to the right, beginning yeah. of the year. And they kind of, I feel like, like ships in the night, man. Ships like in the ships midweek, Maxion night past each other and have gone in opposite directions since. Yeah. Kent State's trending downward. Bobcats are trending upward with the chance to make some noise here next week. All right. Well, before we move on, predictions, big game on Tuesday. Bob's, Bulls, who you got? Let me go with the Cats. Meow. Um, I'm also going to go with the – I'm also going to go with the Bobs. One and three on the road, but four and oh at Peden. Uh, tough place tough to place play, play on, the, on the Hawking River, man. So, you know, a uh, tough game, especially, you know, coming Tuesday night. You don't know how the crowd's going to be. Bobcat defense oh, has been better. I, let's, let's, if you're a kid in Athens, you've got Halloween weekend, and they give you your first midweek Maxion game oh, yeah. the night after Halloween. You've, you, you've planned to extend that as a four-day weekend in Athens. They're going to be oh, rowdy. Rowdy, you taking the bobs as well? Taking the bobs. All righty. Well, we move from the MAC to the AAC. Uh, The Cincinnati Bearcats coming off what was kind of a disappointing win, which I guess you can say when, you know, you've kind of been running the conference for the past two and a half years, uh, just sneaking by SMU, uh, up 17 to nothing halfway through the second quarter. Um, basically just let SMU come back. Ben Bryant, not great. I think 50% completion, but do get the win, uh, you know, to stay undefeated in the conference. Uh, on the other end, UCF, uh, you know, right now five and two, 
losses, you know, early against Louisville at home and then went to East Carolina and just got absolutely throttled on Saturday. Uh, the other team that was supposed to be, I guess, the other big dog, them in Houston, and Houston's definitely been a disappointment. You know, we're down yeah, at 1.17-3. to three. I believe it was 24-3 to three at one point. Their quarterback, John Rice Plumley, uh, three picks, no touchdowns. So pretty rough uh, week for UCF. Do get the game at home. But the Bearcats coming off some, I would say, disappointing wins. You know, Tulsa by 10, South Florida by 4, SMU by 2. Do you think the Bearcats finally get into gear, or do you think an angry UCF team kind of swallows them up in the bounce house, Josh? Yeah, I think UCF's definitely going to be angry. Um, you know, Bearcats uh, favored by two, but a lot of people, at least after the Bearcats game ended and before the US UCF ECU game had kicked off, a lot of people were expecting the Cats to be dogs uh, going down there and facing UCF at home. You know, UCF has had, just as I have had this game circled on my calendar, UCF most definitely has. Uh, already angry before, going to be more angry now. And so if you're asking me, do I think if the Bearcats will have things clicking? I, I'm not so sure because even in this game against SMU, I, I just still haven't seen anything from Ben Bryant that makes me super confident in him. I don't know about you guys, <laughs> but you know, 18 for 35 against SMU, only 200 yards uh, and six sacks. To me, Ben Bryant looks like a guy that he's he's not sure where to go with the ball. Yeah. At least fifty percent. Well, that's being aggressive. <laughs> at least fifty percent. Uh, but uh, most notably, I don't think the Bearcats coaching staff knows. Kind of, yeah. you know, Coach G's offensive schemes. I think when you watch what they're trying to run, it's more like looking like either la they're coming off of last year's offense, which wasn't his, or they're playing for next year's offense with Prater. Yeah. It's not It's not an offense with a pocket quarterback. No, no. Um, but that's on, that's on good dually, though. I mean, that, that's what you got to do. A good offensive coordinator, you got to... You got to build around what you got. That's that's what but I it, get. What you're saying, yeah. though, yeah, they seem to try to do too much. They seem to try try and run an offense where you'd have that kind mm -hmm. of like dual threat thing, and where you yeah. have your run game clicking. Which at times in games with the committee uh, backfield that the Bearcats have, mm -hmm. they do have that run game going. Certainly, yeah. At times it was snapping off uh, 179 yards on the ground against SMU. Yeah. But sometimes they look like they're trying to run that like. I'm, I'm not sure what to compare it to right now, but it, it looks like, it, to me, it looks like they're stuck in last year's offense when you have a guy like Ritter at quarterback. Yeah. You're running or a an offense like that Prater. you expect a guy who can make some plays with his legs. Not that you're calling for him to make plays with his legs, but that, you know, some rollouts, some different things like that, some unconventional stuff. Um, no, I agree. I, I, I like UCF in this game. I'm not rooting for UCF, but he, I like to take weird things in, right? Especially when you got these weird, this conference is so, it's truly America, right? It's so, yeah. so some things to think about. It's going to be raining for parts of the week coming into Florida, Orlando. It's going to be humid. It's supposed to be about 85 degrees, maybe higher at kickoff. Weird temperature, sunny, 30, you know, like you said, UCF's angry. I don't like, I think UC, UC looks bored to some extent. At this point in the year, that's a dangerous combination on the yeah. road. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of this game is is going to come down to 
I think some of the defenses and then, uh, you know, forcing turnovers. Because you look at, uh, as we mentioned, you know, the quarterback for UCF had three picks, no touchdowns in his last game. Uh, Has only had six picks on the year, but three of those in the last game. Uh, The two losses that uh, UCF's had, Plumlee's been sacked four times. He's either been sacked once or twice in all the other games. So getting after him is important, getting pressure. And then also, uh, you know, two of the four games where he's thrown more than 30 passes, and one of them was against South Carolina State. So that could, so really against FBS competition, two of the three games that he's thrown more than 30 passes, they've lost. Mm. So if he has to throw the ball a lot and you can keep his running ability, you know, he's rushed the ball for you know, 10 plus times in five or uh, six of the seven games, you keep him, you keep Plumlee's rushing under wraps. You get some pressure on them, which they definitely can with Dante yeah. Corleone and Ivan Pace Jr. You can force some, some picks, but the question is on the other side, you know, Ben Bryant has not mm-hmm. taken care of the football on his end. They got to get picks. out early and ahead to force yeah. them to pass. And that, that's where I think they could get into trouble. Because, uh, I mean, UCF has, has a pretty stout defense, uh, leading the American right now in uh, points per game allowed, uh, just two touchdowns and a field goal, 17.1 points uh, per game allowed from the UCF Knights. And you talk about Bryant's uh, interceptions and everything. You know, I question whether they can get off to a fast start that, that can at times be a rarity for the Bearcats. Mm-hmm. The, one, the one little bit of... Uh, hope I have for this, if they are in that situation, and I I do believe this will be a very close game, is that for the first time in a very long time, I'm pretty confident in the Bearcats kicking game. Ryan Coe set a school record and a conference record, five field goals in the game against SMU. So the Bearcats have a kicker who can make field goals. I think think that'll be uh, a factor in this game. Uh, because you're going to have a hard time scoring against this UCF team, especially if you can't take care of the football. you got to be able to drive the field. Yeah, and I, I mean, you look at a UC team that's third in the nation as far as, uh, you know, sack numbers, 29 sacks coming into mm-hmm. the game. Uh, Bowling Green, actually, the top sack team with 32 sacks. Hey-o. But uh, I, I, like you said, if they can take care of the ball, uh, force some field goals, I think it'll be probably a game with both teams in the mid-20s. And I think I honestly take this as a, a coin flip game you know one interception or another uh it's tough for me to pick against the Bearcats but also with the way they've kind of played on the edge for so many weeks I you worry about a very hungry UCF team and a almost at times kind of flippant UC team that hasn't always turned it to go right away especially early in a lot of games where they've fallen behind yeah, yeah you got to be able to take care of the football and you got to put points on the board. And you know who knows how to put points on the board? Zach, any idea? I have no idea who we're talking about. The Ohio about, State Buckeyes. Oh, I thought we were talking about the Hawkeyes. Okay. Oh, the Buckeyes. Buckeyes. The Hawkeyes? Uh, I thought you who? said Hawkeye. <laughs> they have put some defensive uh, scores. Uh, they have put some defensive scores. They, once again, outscored their offense. They make those sick, and the Ohio State they make defense. Those sick if, children watch that if offense. If there were three teams involved, if each unit was its own team, the Iowa Hawkeyes offense was last with three points. Both the defenses oh, had seven. Man. and Yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, hilarious. Looking at Ohio State, uh, they go to Happy Valley uh, to face Penn not State. So uh, not yeah, honestly, a not so Happy Valley. Uh, their last, I mean, they started off, you know, the season escaping Purdue, had a big win over Auburn, who was a dumpster fire. Struggled a little bit with Northwestern, got blown out by Michigan, and then did have a convincing win over Minnesota in their whiteout game for whatever reason. Uh, but this is, I mean, really, if you look at Penn State, this is their season right here. After, you know, Ohio State, they have Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, and Michigan State. And when I would say Maryland is the most put-together program out of the last four games. Well, I mean, yeah, essentially. I'm, I mean, I'm just saying Indiana's very much up and down. Rutgers is Rutgers, and Michigan State is uh, You're a talking about, by. sorry, Penn State. I got yeah. it. I was looking so, at the recruiting ranking. Sorry. Um, but, you yeah. know, Ohio State is, is kind of their season. After losing to Michigan, really the only chance that they have to really make noise and, in, in, oh, yeah. you know, as yes. far as college football playoff or anything else, they have to win this game. Obviously, Ohio State, you know, one of the first big games that they've had pretty much since the beginning of the season but uh, a big game nonetheless. I mean, Zach, Ohio State very much favored in this game, 15 and a half, but it seems like they usually play Penn State pretty close regardless. Do you expect yeah. this to be a blowout, or do you expect it to be a close game? Because I, I know yeah. you're taking Ohio State. But well, yeah. I just want to I say mean, that, that that's also, it's incredible how much this line has moved. Open at minus uh, 12 and a half. Yeah. Already up a field goal. Yeah, it's up to uh, 15 and a half. I mean... It's tough. I again, I think it's fair when you say I, I don't fully know what to expect because they haven't played anybody of any substance. To be fair, or at least a complete team. I don't think Penn State's a complete team, but I think they're a team that can hurt you. They have a good, solid young defense with some playmakers out there. Um, you know, offensively, obviously, Sean Clifford's very well experienced um, at what he's doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I like Ohio State. I a I'm taking that 15 out. But, yeah, I mean, I think 21 points at least. Are now, you? by the end, I, hey, I'm not saying, like, you know, they took Michigan to halftime. They were up. I'm not saying something weird like that might not have, especially on the road. But, I, yeah, I think the talent disparity is just so – just so. Now, what I love about Ryan Day and the frustrating part in the first half against Iowa is you're like, what's going on? But what do you do? Came out in the second half. It was a completely different offense. They can, they can transform at halftime like that. Through four quick touchdowns, ball game. I mean, most teams can't compete with that. And I like the defense. I think the defense is gonna—they're getting a roll. Yeah, I think that's the—that's really the big turning point. I think for this game, because in past years they haven't had that defense. They've allowed Penn State to score. And even if you look at last year, you know Ohio State should have won that game by more, but they just—they yeah, couldn't they execute couldn't. in the red zone. My big thing is Sean Clifford has been. Very much Jekyll and Hyde all yeah. year. And I, I just, you know, you see Ohio State has had more of an opportunistic defense this year. At first I was like, ah, 15 and a half is a lot. Maybe they backdoor him at 14. But I think it's one of those things where maybe the maybe like the Michigan game, like the first, you know, quarter to two is close. Oh, yeah. And then Sean Clifford makes a mistake and then it turns into an avalanche. And next thing you know, Ohio State's up by 24 That's or something. It. It's just so, the thing, yeah. I would offense. probably take them. My, I, it wouldn't be a game that I would bet, but if you know, if I if uh, I had to pick something, I would probably say Ohio State by 
yeah, somewhere between 17 and 31. Yeah, you know, somewhere mean, in that range. That just offense can just on, become an avalanche, and yep. Penn State doesn't have the boys to, you know, once you start doing that, they don't have the boys to keep throwing, chucking the ball. Yeah, because really, I mean, their biggest strength is, you know, they have that two-headed monster of Singleton and Allen who, you know, both average over five yards a carry. Yeah. And if you're getting to a point where, you know, Sean Clifford, 61% passing, does only have the three picks, but he's not a guy that's exactly going to, he's not your CJ Stroud or, no. you know, one of those guys that's, you look up and it's, oh, it's a 60 yard bomb by Clifford. And you're bringing up the point. I think the strength still of the defense. I think there's a little bit of question marks still with the corners. I think the safeties are playing great for our safety but there's still some question marks at the cornerback position. Really, their strength is against the run, I think. So, yeah. And that's where it's going to be yeah. beating Penn State is against the run. Nine ninety-one uh, rush yards allowed per game for the Buckeyes. As long as you stop the that two-headed monster that Greg mentioned, yeah, you know, I think you'll be fine. And again, do, Clifford's gonna have to throw the ball. Yeah, and I do think it's it's interesting in how long Penn State can kind of use their running game to keep Ohio State's Ohio State's offense off the field. Mm-hmm. Ohio State is one and four against the spread in their last five meetings against Penn oh, State, yeah. and you know I, that spread just keeps getting bigger. As uh, pe- people, I have a uh, feeling we'll see Drew Aller, also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's what I. That's what, kind of what I'm getting at is how long can Penn State, yeah, stay alive? Um, yeah, I was gonna say 15 and a half, and I think 61 depends on the flow of the game. But I think if Ohio State gets rolling, they'll put up 40 on them pretty easily. Yeah, so, pretty confident. You know, I I I would lean over and Ohio State at this point, but. You know, it's one of those things that if Penn State can make the big plays, they can keep it close. But mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if you trust uh, Sean Clifford to uh, to do that. But you know what you do trust, Josh. What do I trust there? What you do I trust, trust Six Sense Brewing to make a great beer, and us to give you some great analysis on some NFL football after this reciting of the can. Bigger, hazier, juicier, and tastier! The big brother of Merck Juice provides a giant blast of tropical aroma and flavors that will make even the most jaded New England IPA fan smile. Are you sure it wasn't the Niapa? Niapa, it took me a second. I was like, I'll admit, I didn't read it beforehand. I didn't do my... uh, (laughs) I almost said that and I caught myself. I was like, no way. Uh, guys, I will say, uh, not the most decorative can, mostly just the two colors with a little bit of, like, texture of the orange over the white, but I do like the logo. I like the, the like, logo, doesn't it, say this. It looks so. like the, like, warlock with the magician's hat on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> looks Man. like Gandalf been stuck in the woods for ten years. I, I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say kind of Hagrid, evil Hagrid, like, uh, rat, yeah, God rest his soul. But, uh... Yeah. Definitely, as we get as we get back to the beer, you know, pouring more of it here, it's it's definitely a New England IPA. I mean, mm-hmm. it is it is thick. Uh, definitely, now that I'm looking at it, I understand your breakfast beer comment from earlier. 
does have a very orange juice look to it. It almost yeah. it almost looks like like as full pulp orange juice mm-hmm. as possible. Like a lot of yeah. them, they're like, like fresh squeezed. Like they're just, like yeah. a little bit cloudy, but you can still kind of see through them a little bit. This one is, this is dark pretty, as yeah. can be, oh, and I yeah. will say, you don't taste the imperial, but you know even drinking what we we have the 16 ounce cans even drinking what probably 10 or so ounces you can definitely tell it's an imperial or mm-hmm. you can tell it's a little bit heavier after drinking it it's like oh okay there it is you don't exactly it's one of those beers that you don't exactly taste the high abv or taste the like heaviness of it but then you drink it and you're like oh it's yep. the it's the yeah. mysterious land of 8.5 to 9% beers greg uh that 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 area right there when you're on that spectrum you're just not. You think it's. You think you're back in regular IPA land. You're. You're up there. Oh you're yeah. Up there a bit. Yeah. They, they. They say kicking in Denver's easier, but there's definitely some side effects with that. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, those. Uh, what you said, Imperials start at at eight and a half, and you know, we've had, we've had a couple of like those nine, ten percent beers, and you oh, know, yeah. normally in your IPAs. Your regular IPAs, you're in that, you know, somewhere between five and seven. And they, you know, they just are kind of your regular beer. The 10 percenters, definitely you can taste the alcohol in a little bit more. And they're definitely, like, heavy to drink to almost where you have to, like, chew them up a little bit. But this is, like, right in that sweet spot where it's a little bit heavier than your regular IPA, but it doesn't quite taste it. But it definitely hits you more than the regular IPA. But it's not one of those where you have, like, half a 10% beer, and you're like, ah, you know what, I'm good for a little bit. Right. <laughs> well, we've definitely uh, we've definitely worked our way up to it because uh, I think this was back on episode 86, 85, we, when we did the uh, 50 West Brewing and Brew Kettle, oh, you, oh, yeah, the, uh, the, or that was the Ryan Guy Columbus Brewing where they did the hops is real for FC Cincinnati and Columbus. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, Columbus did the New England Imperial IPA. That one definitely had the that one was heavy. Punch. Yeah. That one was what like nine percent or yeah, something. Yeah, that one had the punch to it. Uh, a few shows before that, we did a New England Pale Ale Ohio High from Forbidden Root, and like that 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 was very very mild, just kind of juicy. Kind yeah, of oh, didn't really even have that full like uh, hop taste to it. I mean, obviously, kind of a, a lighter hop form, but this is one of those where. You see Imperial IPA, and though New England kind of has that not quite as heavy, I guess, you know, hop presence, you still expected it to be more, but it's definitely what it says, bigger, hazier, juicy. It's definitely hazy. Oh, yeah. It's definitely yeah. got that heavy juicier, juice. Yeah. Hazier, juicier, But it does not sure. have that extra hop. You know, if you're someone that doesn't likes it a little hoppy but doesn't like it too hoppy, this is definitely a good Imperial beer. I tasted beer. this without looking at it, Without seeing the can, you know, not even be able to see it. Like, in a, I would, I wouldn't. If you asked me what it was, I was brewed. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't guess New England IPA. You know what I mean? Like yeah. an IPA though, because like at least I don't get really much hop at all. You're used to getting that bitter. Now I drink a lot more West Coast stuff, so you get a lot more of that. Yeah, I think it's definitely. I would have guessed like a juicy IPA because it's yeah. not. It's borderline imperial, and I think most of all the characteristic that it has is that heavy thick juiciness to it yeah i think i would have gotten a, a, a regular juicy ipa if i could have seen the beer i think the beer itself yeah. looks like a new england ipa but i don't think i would have gotten imperial unless maybe you gave me an hour and you could kind of feel hey it's a little bit heavier than this stuff but even give then you an hour 
That's what I mean. <laughs> sixth sense. That's why they have the sixth sense. You know what? You know what gives you an hour? Thirty Rack of Sports gives you a good hour of sports. Ah. Sports talk. Fellas, Monday. Monday, Halloween. Next Monday, spooky ghosts. But the scariest thing about Monday is that my day gets to be ruined because I have to watch the Cleveland Browns, who are a disgrace right now. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals come to uh, Cleveland to face the Browns. Right now, the Bengals 4-3. The Browns are 2-5, currently marred on a four-game losing streak. Josh, do you want to start with your team, or do you you want me to be depressed first? Any 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 thoughts from the crowd? I uh, you, I think you jokingly said this to me before the show, but that your Browns were gonna figure out a way to come back in the second half and score on the Bengals in the second half, and uh, I I I'd, bring the deficit ba- down to eight. Yeah, I, I astonishingly don't I. I don't know how this is possible. It's just astonishing. The Bengals are the first team since 1950 to not allow an offensive touchdown in the second half through the first seven games of the season. Wow, they must be like 7-0 and and hadn't lost to Mitch Trubisky and Cooper Rush with that. Yeah, you, you'd think. You'd think. But uh, unfortunately not. Uh, just clawing our way back to 4-3. and three. And uh, I think it could be a lot worse had that defense not, uh, had, not had that statistic. Uh, you also have the insane wide receiver trio of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Chase sitting at 6.05. Higgins and Boyd actually each sitting at 4.55. Uh, Jamar joked uh, in the locker room after the game. Uh, he said that, uh, I think it was T. Higgins, T. ruined it. T. Uh, I think finished with 93 yards. Otherwise, each of them would have finished with 100 yards receiving in the game against the Falcons. Uh, th- this reminds me of a tweet that I saw today, and I, I want to ask your opinion on it. Uh, someone who, based on the wide receivers that they gave out, said, the Bengals have had a number one wide receiver my entire I life. I saw that. Before Jamar Chase and all of them put Auden Tate as a true number one no, no, wide no, no, receiver. No, 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 wait, no, 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 no. He put wait. Alex Erickson as a true uh, wide receiver one. Yeah, he... Who's did this? Uh, there was some Bengals fan on Twitter put put out this list of yeah saying that the the Bengals Greg's going to look for it. The Bengals have had a number one, and this guy I think is about my age, uh, but the Bengals have had a number one wide receiver their entire life. And while I'll give the thought that he's trying to convey, like yes, the Bengals have been very gifted at wide receiver over the years. Sure, sure. Wide receiver one. I want to see Alex Erickson. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll give Andrew Russell seven says Bengals have had a true number one wide receiver on the roster my entire life. Carl Pickens, who I don't know. Also, wasn't uh, Pickens is that uh, that checks? Uh, I mean, yeah. for no, a didn't short they have? Time, uh, yeah, he yeah. Did, yeah. But I just mean who was who is the Florida State guy? Why can I not remember his uh, name? Oh, uh, I know you're talking about. Oh shit, the wide receiver. He played basketball too. Yeah, guy before Ocho Cinco. In the like late nineties, early two thousand. Oh, uh, Peter Wark. Yeah, yeah, Peter. Peter, Wark. Peter yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, I would say Peter Wark. Peter Wark's up there. Yeah, uh, Chad Ochocinco. 
very good. No, no complaints there. No, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know a lot about Carl Pickett. AJ Green, very good. Yeah. No issues there. Alex Erickson. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. He was he was like a return guy who like played like number three wide. I don't even think he, he was he the best that, wide receiver yeah, on the team. He that had year. one year where he had he had a great year on special teams and he made a few okay, first in, of all insane, he's white insane so. plays. <laughs> I, and yeah, I believe he went on to play for the New England Patriots after us. He's twenty nine. He's still younger he than me. Is he twenty nine? He's younger than me. Yeah, that's what I, I remember him being like a decent. He's on the wa- he's on he's on the Commanders practice squad right now. Really? So former wide I receiver one. Uh, wide receiver one. Yeah, former wide receiver one. Only twenty nine years old and hasn't been on an active roster. Really, since like twenty twenty. Yep, I thought that. The I, next one was Auden Tate. Who was like during the really bad Andy Dalton years? Who I thought was also like maybe like a wide receiver three. I don't. Th- I, is he still in the league? Yeah, uh, and I mean he. Where where is he? I don't even know. I'm not sure now. I don't know if he's technically still with the Bengals. He's just had so much uh, injury stuff. I think actually they did release him this off season. Okay, yeah, he had his last two years with the Bengals. He has had a total of. 17 catches and then yeah like i would say two maybe three games yeah so he had what he had one year yeah so his first four years he had one year where he had 40 catches for just under 600 yards the rest of it his other four years combined he had 21 catches for like 215 yards. Alex Erickson's best year was 2019 he had 43 receptions for 529 uh. yards it's like Mercedes Lewis numbers uh, right yeah. now. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know what to think when I saw that tweet. I kind of just gave it a chuckle at the Alex Erickson thing. and Yeah. We should have him on thought, the show about, and, and, and about explain what, what a true a number one. Yeah, I, I don't know what the criteria was there. <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess going back to the Bengals, once again, kind of an up and down year. Uh, two losses early against Mitch Trubisky and Cooper Rush. Uh, then two wins against Joe Flacco and mostly Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, lost to the Ravens, but then get then did get two good wins over Andy Dalton and the Saints and Marcus Mariota and the Falcons. So not exactly, aside of the Lamar game, not exactly a uh, murderer's, row. murderer's row of quarterbacks. Not that no. Jacoby Brissett fits in that, uh, fits in that area or uh, next week's game against PJ, the next week's game against PJ Walker. Um, but, you know, thoughts on the Bengals after, you know, starting 0-2, losing, you know, 0-2 in the division, starting 2-3, and a couple good wins against some middling teams, I would say really, you know, kind of a, a weird schedule so far. What are your thoughts on the Bengals? Definitely turning a corner, definitely playing good second half defense, you know, 4-3, and only behind the Ravens on, uh, you know, tiebreakers just outside the playoffs as we look at them with 10 weeks to go. At, they would be the eighth seed. Uh, what, what are your overall thoughts on the Bengals? My overall thoughts on the Bengals are they are starting to figure it out. And what is encouraging to me is that they had some really uh, – they had some injuries that really made me nervous, specifically uh, Logan Wilson. They lost in the linebacker field. Uh, Logan Wilson, a beast, different kind of linebacker, one of those guys that great at the pass rush, great in, uh, great in uh, coverage too. 
Uh, so losing him was a big blow. But uh, you've had some guys really step up. Joseph Asai finally got in there. He was a big rookie from last year who uh, had the knee injury, was out for the season, uh, had a really great preseason last year, and everyone was really excited. Finally got his first career sack to kind of uh, put the coffin nails well. Get the monkey off his back, maybe mid the there. Get the, get the monkey off his back and put, <laughs> I guess, technica- technically put the coffin nails in the Falcons uh, on Sunday. Oh, put the nail in the coffin. Nail in the, the coffin. Yeah. Put, put, <laughs> they picked up the coffin nails, and he took them to the store for the Falcons or something like that. Yes, yes. He took them over to the Falcons, handed them to, uh, handed them to them, and uh, the game was over for a while. But... Uh, I think they are finally to turn, finally starting to turn a corner. Last week, I was a little concerned because Joe Mixon was in the locker room. Like, yeah, we figured it out. We figured it out. We figured it out. And I'm like, all right, we'll pump the brakes. Have you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, man, that was a fun. That was the most fun I've had watching the Bengals all season and begs the question why your offense can't always, uh, can't always look like that. Must be nice. <laughs> But I think that's the question nice. moving forward is finding the consistency uh, and allowing the offense to do what it, you know, work as it should, be that high-flying offense as it should. And then, yeah, just having guys step on, on defense. The pass rush has improved. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, getting healthy with the bye coming up, if you can make it to the bye, stringing this together. Burrow said these three games uh, going into the bye would define their season. And I think that's exactly right because – you remember what I said at the beginning of the season that they should be going into the bye what six and three or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So would need to win their their next two games. Uh, on the other side, you have a I mean as as per usual a, a trash can uh, of a franchise uh, coming off four straight losses, um, sitting at two and five. Their two wins over. Uh, two organizations in disarray, I would say the the, the Panthers and the Steelers. Uh, three of or sorry, four of those five losses by a field goal or less. Uh, played the Ravens on Sunday. Uh, lost that game in some interesting fashion, where there was a touchdown to Amari Cooper called off because of pass interference from somewhere. Um, a false start. Uh, that Don't blame sh- the referees. For hey, the sh- you shut are. the hell up. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I will blame. I will blame everything and anything. I thought it was clear as day, but oh yeah, the offsides that even the crystal, even crystal the crystal. even the safety thought was on the Ravens that turned a what should have been a first down into a fourth and ten, a sixty-yard field goal that Cade York missed. Uh, so now the Browns sit at two and five, as we mentioned. Tons of questions on the defense. Uh, Two of your middle linebackers both out for the season. Uh, Anthony Walker early in the season, and then Jacob Phillips. Linebacker's been a terrible spot. Uh, defensive tackle was supposed to be a big area of need that they just refused to actually like address in the offseason. So they had like you know two of the worst defensive tackles per PFF uh, playing there. Locking up that QB situation. Um, you have you know some more injuries. Um, in some areas that you thought you were, you know, pretty well together on. Uh, Denzel Ward is now looking to miss his third straight week with a concussion, which is not great. Uh, Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney have missed some games due to various injuries. Um, The offense has been very much up and down. 
they will score on their first drive and then they will act like they've never played football before. Obviously, having Jacoby Brissett run the offense, not exactly what you want. Uh, your wide receivers, you were expecting Anthony Schwartz to be a big player. He was a healthy stra- scratch in the last game. David Njoku, who's been one of their better you know, mm-hmm. receiving targets, now out several weeks with a uh, high ankle sprain listening to offers on Kareem Hunt. So it just seems like one of those things where are they going to punt on this year? Well, they don't really have a, a starting quarterback. Whoa. Uh, they, or they don't have a first-round pick no. yeah. uh, because of their starting quarterback, which they don't have right now. I'm curious to see uh, what that is, by the way. If they would have beat, I mean, if they would have beaten the Ravens, they would have had a chance to go into first place with a win on Monday Night Football. So with some wins, they can still figure it out, but their next... Uh, four games are Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, Buccaneers. So uh, good luck there before they get uh, Deshaun Watson back Wait, in Houston, which is you worry fantastic. about the Buccaneers. That's on the same train as the Packers, my friend. Uh, I'm worried about the Browns playing football. I know, I don't remember. They really look better than either the, the Packers or Bucks. I promise yeah, you that. They kind of look like, and I don't know if it's Brissett. They look slightly competent. Like they, I don't know like if it's Brissett or the before. coaching staff, but they very much look like a team. And I know this team. No, it I was know they, Andy Dalton they teams like, a lot, yeah. where they have a really good first drive script, and they yeah. go out there and execute it. Beyond that, they don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, it just seems like no idea. <laughs> the defense is a mess. Apparently, after the last game, there's a bunch of fighting, saying we don't have any fucking leaders on this team. Uh, John Johnson the third, who was a big safety pickup, who was great last year, has been an absolute liability. Like, just refuses to actually play football. He just gets beat. Like, they they've given up so many like fifty yard touchdowns just because he refuses to like cover or do his job. Um, and then y- you know they do this like weird thing where they fall in love with uh, going empty set which is not great with Jacoby Brissett. Makes no sense. Yeah. Or they run like these weird, like I was paying attention to one of the drives before I left and they like started on the 15 yard line. And I thought it was like a bug in the ESPN system because it was like Kareem Hunt run for loss of five yards. Kareem Hunt run for loss of four yards. No, they were running these really slow, like, like outside run plays out of the shotgun. And they just let uh, a linebacker both times just, Shot the gap and yeah. sack, you know, basically sacked him for uh, a loss of five yards. If you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and and you're going empty or or, or single I mean, back shotgun in the red zone, I, I don't know, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. Or, or you, who, you, you have on the outside, you need something better than Donovan Peoples Jones. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. he's been he's been a no. Good. I'm saying he's good, but okay, but he's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the problem is another level. They don't of, they don't really have like a. A slot guy that you can That's look what I at. Mean. You need because you they need they have yeah. Cooper. Peoples Jones has been good. Schwartz has been terrible. David Bell's been kind of injured, Cooper and looks, then it's like you can tell me you watch obviously way more. I'm just he's curious. been good. No, he has. But do, are, do there are times that you feel like he looks? Just some of the games I watched for I don't know. I saw a couple drops the, and the, stuff where he just looked like he the wasn't. first game he looked bad, but since then he's yeah. been really I was good. What you thought, yeah. And yeah, the only, uh, I mean, he he had that touchdown that was called off for a pass interference. Like I I had him on a fantasy team, and I thought he was just going to be a bench guy. He became like a full on like starter. Like he's been like a great target. He had yeah. uh he had a couple drops I think in the Pittsburgh game too. But I mean, you look at this team. They lost to the Jets because of a comedy of errors. 
They lost to the Falcons because they couldn't figure it out in the red zone. Mm-hmm. The Chargers, they missed a field goal to win. And the Ravens, there was all that shenanigans at the end. So, I mean, you could look at, you could be that really like hopeful Browns fan that's like, hey, we could be six and one right now. But you look at the record, and the record is what you what you is, oh, yeah. and they are two and five, and right near the bottom of the league. And you look at the teams that are around them, like the Steelers, that are an absolute dumpster fire, and the Colts, who are you know putting in Sam Ellinger. Yeah. And you go, well, where the Wild. hell are we supposed to be? And obviously, you have a, co- but you made your bed with the trade. What are we going to do? Are we basically punting this year? Are we going to make sure everybody gets a year older? We're not going to be able to restack this defense, you know, if we don't have draft picks. We do have a bunch of cap space, but is it one of those things where you're holding pattern and then trying to do it all again with a year older Nick Chubb, a year older Amari Cooper, a year older Miles Garrett? Right. It's coming. And yeah. a guy that's played, you know, only at this, at that point, have, only played a handful of games in two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole so the whole plan a, yeah. is so weird to me because you put yourselves in situations where, like Monday, you 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 have to win this game. You have to take the edge in the division and and go for it this year. Like I don't understand what the overall, really, the overall goal is. Well, the other question. Uh, uh, I would have for you on the Bengals side is obviously it's I would say it's pretty much a must win for the the Browns is it a must win for the Bengals Bengals 0-2 in the division right now obviously that's just a tiebreaker but you look at like some tiebreakers if they're teams that you don't play division record is like one of the second tiebreakers yeah going to 0-3 in the division could be catastrophic for you know either if you're close in the division with Baltimore or you know as far as a seeding you know, either with division winners or with wild card. And yeah, I feel like if you get in on the wild card, you're you playing a beat, team you, that has beat you, you know, is undefeated against you this decade. So, well, yeah. And that's, that's the thing to, I, I don't think it's a <laughs> must win for the Bengals, but if I were to, uh, <laughs> if I were to uh, put a must win on anybody, I would say it's a must win for Joe Burrow. I think he's he's the one that's uh, said that this is the three games that define the season. Uh, he's no the reason one, to do that either. He's the one that's uh, kind of lit a fire under the offense here. Is Joe and, Burrow scared of sneezing, by the way? Huh? Did you see that video where the, the reporter sneezed and he, like, jumped? Oh, and yeah. And they're like, oh, man, this offensive line is really putting him in this zone? Yeah. <laughs> um, Although, if the Falcons are giving up that many free runners for touchdowns, he'll probably get one or two of those against the Browns. Well, and I think he's just... Something that you saw out of him in the Falcons game, even them being up the way they were, is uh, he got got upset with the offensive line. Once once after a sack and once after a false start, I think on the same drive. But, I mean, he... Not often do you see Burrow like really yeah. chirp chirp at his offensive line or chirp at anyone on the field really in the manner that he did being upset the way that he was. Um, and so I just think he is in the zone right now of I must win these next three games. And I don't think it's something that he puts out of his mind. Like he might, yeah. and he might, he's totally the type of athlete that's like, oh, oh no, I don't think about that. No, he definitely has this on his mind that he's never beaten the Browns. Uh, so before we, well, you will hear our uh, 
our picks for this game on our Who You Got, specifically on Twitter. But we will give you keys to the game. Josh, if the Brown or if the Bengals are going to win this game with Joe Joe Buck and Troy on the call, uh, what do the, the Bengals what do the Bengals have to do to win this game? Uh, so for the Bengals to win this game, first key is going to be stopping the run, uh, stopping Nick Chubb, stopping Kareem Hunt. I think that's an obvious one. You gotta force Jacoby Brissett to throw the ball because, like we just discussed, I mean, you got Amari Cooper and everything, but otherwise. You know, like we said, the Browns don't really have a threat at slot. They don't really have a really deep threat outside of Amari Cooper. you got to force them to throw the ball. So stopping that run game is going to be key. And then getting off to the fast start. Uh, the Bengals and their fast starts, this kind of been their, like, mantra all of a sudden is, is getting off to fast starts. And uh, I lost I lost my stat that I had on this, but... Uh, their fast starts have been uh, have really been the key to success lately. I think they like playing ahead. They like getting off the fast starts, and they've just statistically over the past few years they score more points per game when they get off to the fast start. You saw in this game against the Falcons, the first four drives were touchdowns. So I think momentum is a very big thing for this offense. Yeah. Uh, and then third. Uh, Third, 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 uh, the offensive line. Uh, protection for Joe Burrow. That's been a big problem against the Browns uh, in the past. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that has to deal with Miles Garrett and everything. But that offensive line has stepped up recently over the last five games. Bengals offensive line has only been charged with eight total sacks over those five games. That's barely uh, a sack and a half per game. So continuing the recent form in the trenches, not just mm -hmm. on offense but defense as well, having some of those guys step up and fill the holes. Yeah, and I think for the Browns, it, it kind of goes, it, you know, exactly the opposite. I think number one, the the two most important things: one is control the clock. You know, through running the ball, keeping the ball to Joe Burrow's hands. Uh, you know, putting that defense under pressure of having to stop run after run after run. You know, not giving the offense, a, uh, the Bengals' offense, a chance to get in, in the groove, running the ball, putting some long drives together. You know, if you know, if you really want to be successful, two to one possession to where you're really, you know, every time someone, you know, who's just flipping back and forth turns on the TV, the Browns should have the ball driving. A lot of Nick Chubb, a lot of Kareem Hunt, you know, Darius Johnson if needed, but a lot of running the ball. Obviously, not having Njoku is going to be a big deal, but you know, some short passes, some play action passes to Cooper and Peoples Jones is big. And then I think possibly even more important than controlling the clock is limiting the big plays from the Bengals. Because you looked at them last week, they had you know, 50 yard touchdown to Jamar Chase, big touchdown here and that, you know, two or, like a couple of their touchdowns were just blown coverages by the Falcons. And the, the Browns have done that several times. And if you do that, Joe Burrow will take advantage of it right away. But if you force them to do these, you know, 12, 15, 18 play drives, then one, you're going to have to have that offensive line hold up for that long, give up a couple sacks, put them around. And then you have, uh, you know, Joe Burrow maybe trying to force something, which he has at times in the past. And three, you have Zach Taylor have to call more plays. And if you get Zach Taylor in a position where he has to call 16 plays to get a touchdown, a couple of them are going to be really stupid. 
So if you can force the Bengals to have to, you know, if you can force both teams to basically have to walk down the field, the Browns are much better, you know, equipped to do that stuff. If it's going to be a grip it and rip it game, the Browns will get blown out very quickly. Yeah, I expect the Browns to bring a lot of pressure. Joe Burrow, though, only one pick since that uh, multi-pick game uh, week one. So we'll see. I'm excited. He's got it in him, though. He's he's got it in him for sure. (laughs) Any uh, any big keys to the game for you, Zach, before we finish this? Uh, I mean, you guys took them all, so no. I mean, I I agree. I mean, ultimately, I'm going to probably cliche. Two controls the trenches, right? Yeah, I mean, true. at the end of the day, it's going to be real cliche and I mean, about it. You're, you're focused on the holiday aspect of it. I, we we might be watching together. I don't know, but I know Zach. This is your your Halloween. favorite holiday. It's your night of the year and everything. Get a break from Packers football. Yeah, you hey. get some decent Ohio football in you on Halloween. Because I'll be night. upset from the night before. So, righty. Well, there's our preview: Browns Bengals. Be sure to be sure to check out our. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok for our Who You Got, where we give our official picks, Brown, Bengals, and maybe an extra wager in there because Josh and I love to wager on Browns, Bengals games. All righty, guys, we're going to end this podcast as we always do, giving our shout outs for the week. Uh, of course, first off, want to give a shout out to Jackson, Ohio's own. Six Cents Brewing, their Mercamus Juicimus. Great beer. Uh, the Imperial IP, uh, New England IPA. If you find this beer or their flagship beer, just the Merc Juice, uh, be sure to try it out. It has been a great, a great drink uh, during this podcast, so uh, definitely would recommend it. Flavorful. So uh, flavorful, good. If you like an IPA, not too many hops, but you like that extra kick to it. Juicy. Uh, juicy IPA. If you like a little bit heavier, you know, 8.6 instead of 6.8, be sure to try out the Imperial one. Thick. Uh, we also want to shout out our listeners. As always, thank you so much for listening to 30 Rack of Sports. Uh, we'll be back again next Tuesday, uh, you know, to get the full reaction of the Browns Bengals Monday night game on Halloween, which should be spooky. Definitely something. Uh, to give to our personal shout-outs, Josh, we will start with you. Who are you shouting out on this wonderful Tuesday night? I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Alan Cruz, now former midfielder for FC Cincinnati. Uh, has been with the club for the past four years, and uh, whether it was right or wrong at times, has been kind of one of the uh, centerpieces of the team, uh, especially back at the uh, height of the USL game our USL uh, seasons and uh, had one of uh, my favorite goals uh, ever, the back heel at Nippert Stadium to open the season uh, on St. Paddy's Day. I think that was in their last USL season. Uh, but he is moving on from FC Cincinnati, so wish him the best and I uh, want to give a cheers to Alan Cruz. Nice. From uh, from soccer to a little bit of puck. Puck? Uh, I am giving my shout-out to uh, the big-ticket signing of the Blue Jackets, the, the shock signing. Uh, Johnny Goudreau, a.k.a. Johnny Hockey, a.k.a. Johnny B. Goudreau. Uh, early in the season uh, with, you know, one of the centerpieces of the Blue Jackets recently, Patrick Laine, leaving the first game with injury. Uh, Goudreau has shown that he can be a leader on this team, 
a uh, team that started out 0-3, but is now 3-4, and working their way back in. Uh, Goudreau uh, last week had a five-game point streak, uh, including multiple points in uh, the Vancouver game and the Nashville game, helping to get come from behind wins in both of those games. Uh, Lion A's back, so hopefully with a full line of uh, you know Lion A, uh, Jenner, Goudreau, the Blue Jackets can finally start to kind of turn into form here. Uh, an interesting beginning of the year for the Jackets, uh, a team that honestly not a whole lot was expected of with some of the defensive issues that they've had, uh, some of the up-and-down goaltending, but definitely have a potent offensive attack. Uh, good to see you know, Johnny hopefully starting to change the culture on this Blue Jackets team as they start to move back towards relevancy and the playoffs. Cannon. Uh, fire fire the can- that cannon. Fire the cannon, baby. Uh, I believe they are playing tonight, uh, unfortunately down 2 nothing already to the Arizona Coyotes, but we'll see what Johnny Hockey can do and line A in the uh, second and third period. Uh, good to know. Uh, hockey and basketball have both started. Also, I knew that. I mean, fun God stat. Uh, NASCAR is still going too, by the way. First, Jesus, uh, first player in Cavs history to have 100 nuts. points in his first three games with the team. <clears throat> Donovan Mitchell, shout out to the Cavaliers. Hey, nice trade. F one, uh, two, huge crowd in Austin this weekend. Uh, Zach, who is your <laughs> shout out? I'm guessing it's not going to be basketball, F one, or puck, or NASCAR. <laughs> no, no, it's actually going to be high state players. Shocking, but probably one you didn't expect. Uh, going to shout Noah Ruggles, uh, Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. The kicker. The kicker, Lou Gros. Lou Gros, a finalist. Also last year, should have won. Um, a man we got from North Carolina who is really. Settled in from the Nuremberg trial days and stuff. Oh, the Nuremberger trials. But, um, you know, obviously with the offensive struggles, I think they had football four times to start the game in uh, Iowa territory. No touchdowns, but boy, it was four for four. Made all six PATs. Only missed one kick this year. So in the entire time in Ohio State's only missed two field goal attempts. He's, he's not, he doesn't do kickoffs, though. That's pretty good. Yeah, By but the way, he's... they got Trey Parker. Not Trey Parker. I don't remember that Matt name. Stone. No, it was like. <laughs> His last name is Parker. The transfer from USC. Ohio State's got all these kickers, but yeah. Michelle, uh, no ruggles. Shout a kicker for once. Really but, kept the momentum going. Pretty much since, uh, what was that crappy kicker's Spending name? Who they, who they, who they wanted. kickers up to this yeah. year was just atrocious. To well, watch, I was going to so. say, since they had the one guy that you guys wanted to win the Heisman back in like 2000. Nuge. Yeah, since Mike, Mike Nugent. Uh, the the Ohio State kicking hey, game has been a little been bit of a bad. There was a couple bad years with Nurmer, but he also turned out to be really good. He was like all big first team Big Ten senior year or something like that. So <laughs> I remember seeing some of those kicks. They were so. bad, yeah. But uh, shout out to Bruggles, Kudrow, uh, and Alan Cruz. As uh, also shout out to FC Cincinnati. Uh, unfortunately, couldn't get it done in the yep. uh, semifinals, losing to the. Philadelphia Union won nothing, but a, a yeah, pretty good game. I, I watched a little bit of it. It was it was I guess know, very much back and forth. Yeah, I guess we haven't been back. Uh, shout out to the Guardians as well. Uh, you know, both uh, both playoff runs that were left in Ohio come to an end, but a lot to look forward to for both of those squads, uh, the Cleveland Guardians and FC Cincinnati next year. Kickers, though, I mean, I didn't get to see Money Mac kick a field goal for the first time ever. Yeah, first time in his uh, Bengals career, he did not attempt a field goal. Wow. Uh, the Browns also have a kicker. 
he unfortunately couldn't make a sixty yarder after some you know some bullshit calls. But maybe whatever next- there. Maybe maybe some big kicks in the next game. Maybe we next will see. Week will be the first week we don't attempt an IPA. <laughs> that's not that. that's Crazy. not true because I see an IPA right over there for next week. But the one thing we can be sure is we'll be back. Ready to talk some football. Maybe a little bit of, I don't know, basketball, hockey. I don't, we'll see what comes up, comes around. But we'll be talking about it all on 30 Rack of Sports. For Zach, on the opinions, good, bad, or otherwise. See ya. For Josh, on the ones and twos. So long. I'm Greg. Thank you so much for listening to 30 Rack of Sports. Let's go Browns, please. Put me in a good mood on Tuesday.